it's just crossing the bridge just like we can cross the bridge of time we can cross the bridge of dimensions people simply move into another dimension of existence when they leave the physical body hello and welcome to passion harvest i am louisa your host thank you so much for joining us i'm so excited about our guest today dina miriam how do our deeds impact the process of rebirth and our journey through time? Life doesn't forget anything, neither your good deeds and vows nor your wrong deeds or thoughts that you've tried to hide from all. Dina Miriam explores the universal law of cause and effect and how events, thoughts and reactions hold the key to birth and death. She is the author of several books. Her latest book is called To Dance with Dakinis. Dina, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so honoured to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Louisa. <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely love everything you talk about and especially your incredible new book, To Dance with Dakinis. But I'd love to talk about, I guess, to start with your the, the concept that you talk about, the journey through time. All of my books um, deal, because this is what I know best. I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. And so my books all talk about this law of cause and effect, um, what it is, how it affects us, how we can work with it consciously, um, not unconsciously. I mean, clearly we can't change the past, but we do shape our future. I think there, there are a few important um, misperceptions that need to be, that I that I always seek to clear up. One is that karma is a system of reward and punishment, which, it, which it's not. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a process of learning and awakening. And it's it uh, everything that comes to us is a result of what was started in the past a cause that led to an effect and in the hope that we can learn from it. And so it's meant to help us grow and learn spiritually. Uh, there's no judgment. There's nobody judging us. We are the shapers of our own future. Everything that comes to us, we ourselves have created. And we in our current life are creating our future. And that's, we can do it consciously or unconsciously, but we are creating our future. So you, you you talk about how the universe wo works the law of cause and effect. Our present moment shapes our future. What about our past? You um, these are too many questions because I'm getting excited. But so karma, it's not as if in a previous life I've been a terrible person or murdered someone. I have to pay for it in some way or retribution in this life not about a, a, a retribution it's it's um actions create an energy everything in the universe is energy um we're energy bodies thought is energy and when you put something out it reverberates and we, it, it's like gravity if you throw something up it comes down i mean if you throw something up it doesn't wander off into space and disappear it comes down and that's a neutral law of the universe that was designed to hold things together so that we stay in our orbit <laughs> so that the moon stays in its orbit so that we stay on earth i mean there was a, a purpose for that law of physics and just like there are physical laws laws that phys phys physicists work with and, and try to understand more deeply. There are energetic laws, spiritual laws that have to do with 
with the with um with with our energy that we we are energy bodies and so um and we were very powerful much more powerful than we know so if you create harm to somebody your deeper self wants to repair that your deeper self knows that you've unconsciously done something that causes harm whether it's killing somebody doing something that negatively impacts somebody and you you want to make up for it in some way it doesn't have to be an exact you kill somebody he kills you back but in some way you want to make up to that to the harm that you've put out there and it's a very complex law i've spent my life trying to understand it the only way i've been able to understand it is to look back at my own past births many of which i remember and to see how things initiated in one life carry forward into the next life and how you are able to repair damage done, um, which is a healing. I mean, if you do something wrong, it's not only the person who's been hurt, it's the person who hurts who also needs healing. And so how do you heal? There are multiple ways in which you can heal yourself and not repeat that behavior. You know, as I, I, I said earlier, if you knock your head against the wall, it hurts. But some people get it right away and they don't do that again. Some people, it takes 10 times of doing something that's causing harm for them to wake up and say, oh, I shouldn't do this anymore. This hurts. <laughs> yes, sometimes I've been a slow learner. Um, for, for example, for those of the audience that haven't experienced past lives, would you mind sharing an experience or some experiences how past lives have impacted this present life or the Dina that I'm talking to? Yes, um, there's so many, so many examples. And in all of my books, I try to show um, example of, of about, about how, and it can manifest in so many ways. A relationship that didn't find fulfillment in one life can manifest in the next. For me, for me, it was interesting because um, I sort of backed into my work. It was not something I consciously sought out. Before I started really devoting myself to writing, 25 years ago, I started an organization called the Global Peace Initiative of Women. I found myself in the interfaith world, and I found that the women's voices were absent. There were no women there. I'd go to meetings, and I'd be the only women. And so I'd say I'm representing half the human race. And so I wondered why I I found myself in this position. Looking back over my past several lives, I saw that I found I felt I had no voice as a woman. And my life was determined for me. We're talking about, you know, the last century and the century before that and the century before that, which was true for a majority of women, for almost all of us. Our lives were determined by our by our fathers, by our husbands. Uh, in some cases, by our sons, you know, and in some parts of the world, it's still that way. And so I felt that I wasn't in control of my own life. So here I found myself um, having experienced that again and again and again, creating a pl global platform for women to raise their voices. And I organized dialogues and conflict areas around the world with women so that women would have a voice. I used the UN as a platform. Sometimes I worked with the US State Department. I mean, the, and I, I was sort of surprised at myself because I've always had complete freedom as a woman. So I said to myself, why am I called to do this? It was only when I looked back at my previous births that I saw that this had been an issue for me numerous times 
where I was not in control of my life. And and finally, I was in a position where I could do something not only for myself, but for other women who didn't have the same opportunities that I had. So it was it was the culmination of aspirations over many, many lifetimes. And I think those of us who find ourselves successful in the world, it didn't just come about in one lifetime. It was something that we we earned through struggling for it over a course of numerous lifetimes. Well, that's that's so wonderful. So what you're doing in this lifetime, is that some in some way healing your past, as we term them, the past lives when you were suppressed as a female? It's definitely, I mean, it's not an issue for me anymore. It's it's been uh, it's been completely healed. I mean, it happened to coincide with a time when this was a global issue for women that they can step forward and and assume leadership positions. But when I first entered the interfaith world, um, and again, I backed into it and I I organized a meeting of religious leaders at the UN in 2000. The UN had wanted to do this and they wanted the senior religious leaders and there were no women. So, so of the few women who were there came to me and they said, you know, we, we didn't have a voice here. Again, echoing my own feeling over past lifetimes. We want our own platform. So we went back to the Secretary General, who at that time was Kofi Annan, and he said, yes, good idea. Go to the Palais de Nation in Geneva. So we did. We brought women leaders, although they weren't considered, they weren't the top, you know, they weren't the cardinals and everything, but they were doing so much on the ground. And um, and that, to me, as I stood there with these women leaders at the UN in Geneva, I didn't realize that then, but afterwards, looking back, I said to myself, this was the culmination of all of those lifetimes when I felt I didn't have a voice. Here, I was able to give the women a platform. This is the year 2002, 20 years ago. So it was a, a different time. Um, and now, of course, there are many, many women religious leaders and women in the interfaith world. It's changed in 20 years. But when I started it, it was really something I had to work hard to break through. And so that, now it's done for me. It's like that part of my life is done. It's completely healed. Oh, amazing, amazing. So everyone uh, recalls their past lives in different ways how do you recall your past lives people ask me that and it's hard for me to describe the process you know I'm a long time meditator I've been meditating since I was very young and and when you meditate and practice meditation techniques pranayama and other things things happen energy moves uh, it's not just you know calming and feeling peaceful things actually stirred <laughs> and uh you know it was about 20 years ago when i first began to vividly recall my past birth uh, which was at the turn of the last century and um over the course of many months i saw many details i see it and i hear conversations it's almost like i'm thrown back into that time frame which initially was destabilizing because I had to function. I was a, you know, newly divorced, raising two kids, had to function at a job. And here I was being whisked back into the past. And I had to like function in two time periods. Now it comes very easily to me. I was much younger when this first happened and found it difficult. So I, I don't advise people to go digging. 
I always say, whatever comes to you, comes to you. But if it doesn't come to you, you don't need to know. I think, Kevin, I believe that whatever we need to know somehow comes to us. Um, and I believe that I've been able to see as much as I have for the sake of sharing it. I think um, somebody asked me recently, what is my greatest learning? What have I learned from seeing the past? And I would say if there are multiple learnings. One is to see that change my relationship with death. Death is not the end, birth is not the beginning. We are on an ongoing journey with different chapters and okay, a chapter closes and a new chapter opens. It changed my sense of identity. And so I identify less with this personality because I've seen many personalities that I have. And yet there's a constant thread. There is a constant. And I see each personality within myself now as if I'm the culmination. And the other great learning, perhaps the greatest, is the power of love. Because in, in each of the births, I've, I've, I've seen how the power of love continues and people that we've loved we meet again um there's no ending to anything and so this concept of i think it's sort of the last frontier and i think scientists will speak about it differently what we call the celestial worlds they'll call it dimensions so already certain scientists physicists are talking about a multi-dimensional universe but what are these other dimensions hmm. so in your experiences, what happens when our physical body dies? I talk about that, and I do remember uh, my past death, and I remember the in-between state. It's interesting because what we call death is a celebration in that world because we, we return to where we've come from. And when we are born, it's sort of a death to that world because you forget. And there's sort of like a great forgetting that comes over you. And yet that world, I mean, of course, there are multiple different experiences. No two experiences are the same. I talk about my experiences. I, I think there are two sections in, in the latest book, To Dance with Dakinis. I talk about three lives, um, three different lives. But I also talk about the in-between stage, my own experience of, of being able to recapture your memories. So when this personality, when this body dies, you sort of assume you're, you come into your greater being and you can recognize people from past births. Uh, you're no longer limited by the, um, we, we know scientifically that our perceptions are very limited. Our sight is limited. We see in a very narrow spectrum. Our hearing is limited. We hear in a very narrow spectrum. Our whole experience is limited to, to these uh, limited senses. But when you leave the body, you, you have an expansion. And you can see things that you couldn't see in the body and hear things and interact with people. Um, my father, who I was very, very close to, passed away two years ago. And soon after he passed, I was able to see where he is and was able to converse with him. There are quite a few people who have this ability. Uh, to, it's just crossing the bridge, just like we can cross the bridge of time, we can cross the bridge of dimensions. People simply move into another dimension of existence when they leave the physical body. 
in some cases, it's the more beautiful. It depends upon where your mind, what's in your mind. If you have an angry, hateful mind, I can't say you're going to move into a beautiful reality. You, your mind creates the reality. And, and that's why it's so important to watch your mind. The more love is in your mind, the more you're attracted and drawn into a place, a very loving place. The more you're filled with anger and hate, the more you're going to be drawn to a place where other beings like that inhabit. Yes, I'm in absolute agreement. You spoke before about meeting loved ones or you've spoken about, some people term it soul family, so we have multiple in incarnations with the same souls in different incarnations. Have you experienced this as well? So, for example, one life, it could be your mother or your father or your husband or your child. What What are your thoughts on that? The, the um, well, that's definitely true. I mean, my two closest friends since I was in my early 20s, I recognize both of them as having been uh, friends from my previous birth. But it doesn't always work next birth. Um, I have a grandson who I write about in the introduction to my Dance to Dance with Dakinis. And he was the one who opened the door to my memory of Tibet. And I know that I've um, he's been my son before. He's been a dear friend before. And now that he's my grandson, it's funny because we function. He automatically, when he was young, just started calling me by my first name. It just came very naturally. He always treated me as a peer, as a friend until his mother said, she's your grandmother, call her grandma. <laughs> but that didn't come naturally to him. <laughs> and so um, I've been able to see multiple people in my current birth who I've recognized not just from my last life, but from many lifetimes earlier. And, and some people who um, I've had more difficult relationships with, I've been able to see that that's been carried over. I had a difficult relationship with my mother and I see that was carried over from earlier lives, many, many lives ago. And I was able to resolve it with her. It took me a whole lifetime to resolve it with her, but I was before she passed away last year, we ended on a beautiful note, but she's somebody I know that I will meet in the future because there's still um, unresolved feelings on her part. Healing to do you like to do yeah mm -hmm. um do you think that all we turn them past lives or perhaps even future lives are they all happening right now my experience and um i've always i've experienced I, I i time sort of became very elastic to me and then collapsed because i was sometimes finding myself like many thousands of years BCE and it was happening as if it was now. And it was, when I was, when I write about something, I am in the now I'm, I'm experiencing it now. But when I finished dance with bikinis, I thought, well, what, what am I, I, I don't know what's next. Every time I finish a book, I don't know what's next. And then things begin to come to me. I'm now in the middle of a book called memories of a future life. And it takes place 200 years in the future. I literally see my own trajectory. I know things, I know aspirations that haven't been fulfilled. I see uh, relationships that need a little bit of, a little bit um, 
another encounter, so to speak. Um, and I've been trying to see the collective, which is much harder because there's so many dystopian visions out there. And that's not my gut feeling. My gut feeling where, you know, according to the um, Eastern philosophy, history is cyclical. It doesn't repeat itself, but it moves in cycles. The yugas. And we, everybody knows Kali Yuga, the term Kali Yuga, right? It's, it's, a, it's the time when we are, are only see the material and can't see the spiritual at all. Satya Yuga, the Garden of Eden. We have the memory of the Garden of Eden, Eden somehow in our collective memory, right? That's Satya Yuga, when there's a complete harmony and a living according to the to the uh, principles of Dharma, um, in harmony, harmony among the animals and humans, and and much less of a, a ego identity, much more of being part of a whole. So we've just passed through the Kali Yuga now on an upward movement. There. There are four, four yugas, Satya Yuga, Treta, Dwapara, Kali. It goes down, a loss of spiritual knowledge, and then a gaining of spiritual knowledge. So we're just at the beginning of, of the Dwapara Yuga, moving out of Kali Yuga. So this dystopian future that people see, I don't see. It doesn't mean that there won't be earthquakes and conflicts. That's always part of life. But we also are gaining um, this, the, the spiritual awareness is increasing on our planet. Um, spiritual knowledge, which was kept hidden among the initiates, is now available to anybody who's, who's searching. Anybody can find meditation practices on the internet. And so while you have the normal ups and downs of physical life, we also have a growth in spiritual awareness. So I see... A um a more po a positive future, and yet um, whenever there's transition, there are dislocations. So the economic, political, social systems we have have now need to transform. Will they transform gradually, easily, or violently? That's up to us. We collectively are creating our future. So we can do it consciously and not just be thrown about by the forces. Uh, and so that's the purpose of this new book is let's consciously create a good future for the human community. My and again, as I'm writing, gosh. I'm in the now. It's no, one of now. my favorite, my, one of my favorite topics, future memories. What, I mean, you touched on it, but what does humanity look like 200 years in what we term as the future, which is happening right now? I see. I see. Um, uh, uh, sort of like a, a a focus on local communities. You know, the 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 place where I'm born is in India, but it's a spiritual community, a spiritual lay community, uh, in the south of India. Uh, I see much more integration. Uh, you know, there's much more people are have all kinds of uh, people are mixed. <laughs> We see it today, but it's much more so where you can have a one grandparent from here, one grandparent from there. There's an intermingling. Um, and yet, and yet the common, the common feature, uh, and I see the religions becoming much less powerful, uh, the common feature being spiritual practice and people moving away from things that separate us. 
and moving toward uh, a common spiritual practice, prayer, meditation, and internalization of, 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 of going inward in order to um, um, manifest something more beautiful on the outside. Uh, I see the increased use of, um, of we're just beginning this process of, of robots, a decreased population, which we know is going to happen, um, but it will be it will be create some dislocation, the decreased population, uh, but ultimately it will be it will help heal the earth. Fewer people on earth, uh, a greater use of of um, of androids, which create another set of problems. It's not as if we're not going to have problems. The challenges will change. So a decrease of the human population and an increase of AI or robots, um, whatever you term them. Gosh. So you you this life that you experience is in India. Have you seen other parts of what we term as the world, for example, the US, what, what that might look like? The life that I see is two lifetimes ahead. My next birth will be in the US. And um that's when there'll be there will be a lot of climate events. So looking toward the end of the century, this century, early next century, there will be a lot of climate events. But uh, um, it will help in the reformation uh, uh, and and the and the reestablishment of a rightful relationship with the natural world uh, in terms of of how we understand and treat the natural world, see the earth as alive, treat the rivers respectfully. There's going to be a lot of cleaning up to do. You know, it's taken us several generations to mess up, and it's going to take quite a while to clean up. And so I see um, a lot of cleaning up. And I see not one powerful government in the world, as I said, sort of like a relocalization with a lot of communities at different levels, some deeply spiritual, you know, uh, uh, and I see the turning point, what's going to help alleviate, well, I don't want to give away, a lot of this is in my book, <laughs> what's going to help alleviate the worst spiritual practice? I mean, the, the spiritual community is growing. It needs to grow exponentially in order to have an impact. You know, I, I, um, Called a, called a gathering in the U.S. some years ago uh, of, of contemplative leaders from all religions, those who are doing contemplative practice, to look at, is it having an effect? You know, if you look on the outside, it looks like our country's going backwards, more polarized, um, more angry, and yet there are more people who are doing spiritual practice. So how do we understand this? Um we didn't come to any conclusion, except we said, if you look over a period of 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you see a lot of changes. We couldn't talk about karma 20 years ago and have it be widely understood. We couldn't talk about reincarnation 20 years ago. Um, meditation was considered a cult thing. Now it's in, it's in the business realm. Uh, uh, I've been a vegetarian since I was 20. Now it's so easy to be a vegetarian. At that time, people thought you had a disease, you were sickly, you know, and they'd give you, if you went to a restaurant, they'd give you boiled potatoes, streamings, and carrots. And you, I mean, that was all you had. And so there, there have there have been sea changes 
that I have seen in my lifetime. And yes, it hasn't manifested uh, at the political level yet because there are always retrogressive forces. You take two steps forward and then there are forces to pull you back. People are frightened of what lies ahead. And it's this fear that makes people cling to the past. Um, and, And I think that's part, one of the most important functions of the spiritual communities right now is to help people deal with this fear. It's a lot of fear. A lot of the anger is in response to fear. The world is changing very quickly. You know, in the 1950s, change came slowly. In the 1960s, change was gradual. Things are changing quickly here now. And this is causing a lot of fear and, and causing people to sort of want to go back to the past. Wow. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't wait to interview you for your next book <laughs> um, and can't wait to read it. Have you seen why, what circumstances lead to a decrease? In, and I won't ask too many questions because people should read the book when it comes out, but what is there circumstances that lead to the decrease in the human population? Well, I focus on the on the on the natural. Uh, um, we know that places like Korea and Japan and China, their population is declining. There's panic about it because who's going to support all the older people? But it's it's a process that I think is natural. People are having small families uh, in Korea, Japan. People have one or two children. Uh, there's no need to have six children, ten children anymore. Uh, also, there's a decline in fertility. They say fertility is down 25%. Uh, and so there's been a messing up of the hormones. I mean, all the hormone disruptors in the environment is playing havoc with the horm- hormones. Uh, and, it, you know, there are always the natural disasters, the earthquakes, the flooding, the hurricanes, uh, the conflict. I mean, that's ongoing in, in Earth history, you know? Uh, and, and that that you know, is that will continue, whether there'll be more intense storms, there'll be adaptation. Um, but I see a lot of the decrease as, as sort of like the natural decline in the size of families and the decline in fertility. And over 200 years, I mean, the scientists are already projecting that the pop world population will grow for another few decades and then begin to decline and decline and decline. And we should not see that as a bad thing. <laughs> uh, and that's where the the um, AI will come in to take over a lot of the jobs, you know, the technical jobs that that people, there aren't enough people to do. I mean, that, that seems to me, but again, it's all how it's managed. You know, it's all the consciousness. If this is done in a conscious way, a lot of people also choosing not to have children. I know a lot of young people are are choosing not to have children. Um, so I think if 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 we move ahead through the adaptation phase of climate change in a conscious way, uh, the human community will come out in a better place. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. One more question on the future, and then I'll move on. But people often talk about. You hear war is coming, global, another world war. Have you seen anything in the future like that? I think that that, um, 
you know, until, you know, when I started my work at the Global Peace Initiative, my first attempt, because we were called, there was Israel-Palestine in 2002. We did so many dialogues there. Uh, and 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 my preoccupation was, how do you unknot this collective karma? You can work more easily on your own karma. You can, if you really have in, introspect, you can see what, work is set before you've set for yourself in terms of your your um your career or your or your relationships uh financial whatever but to unknot collective karma uh uh um i know that my my guru paramahansa yogananda once said that the us has positive and negative karma the positive karma is all the immigrants that it has welcomed to its shores negative karma is the genocide of the people who are living there, the First Nations, and and slavery. Um, so we see that this karma is still with us today. Uh, we're struggling with an immigration issue in the U.S., uh, 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 and it's 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 we haven't been able to solve it because that's part of our strength is welcoming people who are coming from desperate places, and yet. We can, can we even take care of the people who are here, you know, to want to overwhelm the system? So we don't have the wisdom yet to figure this out. Uh, uh, and you can see the, the issue of slavery, the issue of the the unjust injustice is still with us in the U.S. And I saw when I dealt with Palestine in Israel, on both sides it was like a competition of, of of tragedies, whose tragedy was greater. Both sides had complaints. And so um, how do you unknot this collective karma? It's it's too complicated. You know, it's you have to you have to see who everyone was before. The people who were born in Israel, well, where were they before? The people who were born in Palestine, well, where were they before? Their karma led them into those spots. What are they meant to work out? Well, obviously, you know, live together peacefully. <laughs> figure it out um so um so conflict until we unknot the and if you look at many of the hot the, the hot um spots in our world today unresolved from world war ii even ukraine and russia russia's calling them nazis well why are they obsessed with this they're not nazis but they're obsessed with this they're fighting the nazis they're still carrying the shadows they, it's shadow work they're still carrying the shadows of that and they're still carrying the shadows of their empire. They still can't let go of their empire. Uh, um, Tibet and China have long history together, which I try to show in the book. And so, you know, it's all the past, the past that hasn't been resolved. And so we need a higher consciousness in order to resolve these karmic knots. And so how do we get this higher consciousness? We're, we're sort of like being forced to evolve right now in order to move on beyond this karma that has been with us for generations now. Yes, gosh. I mean, it's I mean, it, the, the possibilities are unlimited. It's so complex and com complicated for us. It's certainly in our humanness to comprehend. Um, you spoke earlier about, you know, right now we're creating our future. For those of the audience that are not necessarily joyful or happy about their present or what they see in the future how do we how do we change it i i i 
I think that, you know, I always encourage people to engage in some spiritual practice, whether it's prayer or meditation or whatever it is for you. But I think along with that introspection, looking at your life and looking at the relationships that are difficult uh, and making a conscious effort um, to work them through, you know, it's it's um, one way to sort of to gauge how you're doing is if you have no reaction, as long as you're reacting to another person or a situation, you're still in it. You're still in the game, so to speak. Uh, 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 and and our, our goal is to get to the point, if somebody is mean to you or say something hurtful, as long as they're a reaction, you're in the game. But there comes a point when you cannot not react and say, well, that's a shame. They're still carrying that with them and see it as their burden, but not take on that burden yourself. And so I think looking at your life, what is it you want to change? And it's being realistic, not fanciful. Oh, I want to be a billionaire in my next life. Well, <laughs> you know, there are some people who are born into that. You have to look at their karma and why that some, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. There have been many lifetimes of maybe many lifetimes of struggle and suffering before they were able to get that, uh, develop the initiative and to be able to uh, create the businesses to get there. Um, but what is it you really want? What makes you happy? To, to introspect in your life and to see, um, you know, often the question comes, why does a good person have ill health? Well, nothing is accidental. Sometimes you take that on in order to burn off a lot of, you know, karma in one lifetime. People, I know there was, I don't know if you know, there was a spiritual teacher, um, Ramdas, who um, about 10 years before he passed a few years ago, 10, 20 years before that, or I think when he was in his 60s, he had a massive stroke uh, and was paralyzed on one side. And he had to learn how to speak again. He called it fierce grace. He called it grace, and he said that was the greatest teaching of his life because it helped awaken him. He disassociated with the body. He knew he wasn't the body. Okay, his vehicle was not functioning. His car broke down, but he knew that he wasn't the car. He was just riding his car. So all of our situations are to help us get to that point where we know that we're just in this vehicle for a short time. Thank you. Um just a few more questions, and you probably get this question all the time. Suffering. It can be brutal in our humanness. What what would be your advice for those that are experiencing conflict or suffering or going through hard times? Well, you know, when we're in it, it's very real, uh, and we can't um, minimalize or, you know, uh, until we're until we realize that we're in a dream body shedding dream tears, the tears are real. And I think those who have health crisis, those who lose a loved one, I mean, at all times in the planet, there's suffering going on. Uh, people are losing loved ones as we speak. Um, and and I think um, I think to try to remember that you will meet that loved one again, that there's no long-term loss. It's a short-term loss. Uh, and, you know, of course, that doesn't do away. You have to live out the rest of your life without that loved one. But love reaches all corners of the universe. Uh, and and um, and I think I think it's just Im important to remember that we are eternal beings and that we're in one chapter of the play. We want to play our role the best we can, but but 
we want to also realize that this life will pass and we'll have another chance. We'll have another opportunity to achieve what we want to achieve, to be with our loved ones. And we don't have to wait. You can still be with your loved ones, even if they're in another dimension, because there are ways to connect and communicate through the veil that separates the dimensions. Thank you. And and do you think there's an end point to the birth and death and reincarnation cycle? I do. I, I think that, you know, for most of us, we gradually awaken and learn more and, and become more in tune with who we truly are. And that at one point we we become part of the of the infinite whole, or we recognize ourselves as the infinite whole. And that's a very blissful um, experience where you can be the director of the play, not just a puppet in the play or an actor in the play, but you become the director of the play. Thank you. For those of the audience that haven't read your book, is there anything you'd like to share about To Dance with Dakinis? To Dance with Dakinis uh, takes us back to 12th century Tibet and goes through a little bit of the history of Tibet and then uh, recovers a life in medieval Europe and goes forward to a life in India in the 13th century. But but aside from showing the, the process of how cause and effect, a love that couldn't fulfill itself in one life times total, finds total fulfillment in the following life. Um, there are beautiful teachings that come from teachers uh, that who and who who are trying to awaken the love, the greater love uh, within within me. Uh, and so, to me, it was a powerful experience. Uh, I still live with those beings. As I said, once you remember something, it doesn't leave you, and it becomes part of the now. Mm. So I hope all of you will enjoy the book and find benefit from it for your own life. Yes, it's wonderful. On a final note, is there anything that you'd like to share with the Passion Harvest audience that I haven't asked you? You know, while we see so much suffering in the world, uh, individual suffering and then then the the co collective pain i don't think you know when there's war going on we all are part of it um because we're part of one one world community i think it's important to remember the joy as well the joy of life um there has to be a balance we suffer and we rejoice we go through both and so it's important to remember that and so i hope I hope you all are able to tune into the love and to the joy that fills the universe. Oh, beautiful. Wadina, Miriam, I'm so honoured to have you as a guest on Passion Harvest and, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Louisa. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe.